Couldn't hit the button quick enough because as the NBA free agency window opens up, these guys are dropping like flies. Staying where they are or moving on, the NBA free agency window this time around could potentially be as chaotic as we've seen um, in the last couple of years. With these max deals, these player deals, outspoken veterans, I want to go here, I want to join up with this guy, I want to stay put. Short end of the stick, inevitably, is going to wind up to be the New York Knicks, as it always is, even coming off a good season. But with that in mind, welcome to the latest edition of Sports Today with Peter J. Uh, Friday, June 30th edition, a couple minutes north of 7 o'clock p.m. on the East Coast. Of course, I'm your host, Pete Mulroy. Uh, thanks again for being with us. I go back two weeks, numbers again, through the roof. And that's not because of me. That's because of you. So I appreciate the listenership, the viewership, reaching out on social media. Again, I've said it for the probably the past six, seven, eight shows I've done. Those of you who are listening on iHeart, continue to do so. You're crushing it. You're carrying the load for me, uh, helping me legitimize this platform, uh, even you. Because when you get into sports broadcasting, you do things like this, it should be for the fans. It shouldn't be for the glory of the person behind the microphone. It should be entertaining and engaging. I've tried to do that, and so far, so good. And it's because of you. So thank you. Uh, I was, I'm was. i going to get more into what's happening around the NBA. Um, some rumors that are linking the Knicks to James Harden, James Harden to the Knicks. I haven't exactly decided how I feel about that yet because it's, it's in its infancy. Uh, but some of the top names, Draymond Green's going to stay in Golden State. He signed a four-year $100 million deal, which to me is is just mind-blowing. Um, but, I, you know, when if you don't have an allegiance to a team, and I certainly don't to Golden State, they, you know, they've been a thorn in the side of the NBA because they've been so damn good the last couple of years, led by Clay, Draymond, uh, and, of course, Steph Curry. Um, so maybe it makes sense to keep that cohesiveness there, but with a $100 million deal, um, that's a big sell. Uh, you've got some other big deals. Chris Middleton, this one. Just came across the NBA news desk. He's going to stay in Milwaukee three years, $102 million. Most importantly for Middleton, he's got that player option in there. So as a lot of this continues to go, there's two big moves right there. Heard earlier in the week, those of you who follow the rumor mill, that Kyrie Irving was going to meet with the Suns. That's not going to happen. All right. Kyrie is with Dallas. He's going to stay in Dallas. Um, that came out a few minutes ago. Uh, with Kyrie Irving going to stay with the Dallas Mavericks um, while he was looking around, uh, exploring other options. It looks like um, Kyrie's going to stay right where he was, uh, which is which is big news. On a three-year, $126 million deal, he's also got the player option. This is ongoing. This is going to continue to heat up. You're going to see trades, obviously, with – Harden coming off the table from a free agent perspective, that opens up the door with him opting in to now be traded. All right. He exercised that $35.5 million or something like that, $36 million option for next searing, next season. Philly's now going to look for a trade partner. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. Whether it's a potential reunion in Houston, which has been floated around, now you're starting to see. The Knicks kicking the tires here. 
there is the belief, there is a mindset around James Harden, and I don't fully agree with it. I don't fully disagree with it, that he could be problematic to an organization. Where I do have a problem is when James Harden, listen, nobody's ever going to accuse James Harden of being a lockdown defender. But what you also have to understand with this guy is you're not going to see too many pure scorers when healthy. Now, granted, he's 35, 36 years old. When healthy, 33, excuse me, who can put the ball in the basket like this guy, ISO, create plays, get the ball in the hand of other playmakers, make things happen. You don't see too many guys like this. So if you're looking at it from that perspective, and a trade goes down with the Knicks, what could that potentially look like? Well, from my perspective, and where I view this as a positive, would be parlaying a Harden deal with him coming to the Garden and pairing up with Brunson and Julius Randle. Where I've gotten some flack for saying things like that, putting it out on social media and hinting at it at the end of the NBA show that we had a couple of weeks ago, was many Knicks fans, and perhaps even some within the organization, don't want Julius Randle next season and beyond. So that would eliminate that. You'd also be looking at what you might have to move on from should you make a trade with Philadelphia and James Harden. Now, there have been different reports. And again, the prognostication gets infuriating at times because you don't know. That's why I'm not a big picks guy. I don't like picking before an NFL season starts to predict a win-loss record for a team is absurd. Because I never would have pegged the Detroit Lions, the dumpster fire of the NFL, to win nine games. Never would have did it. Now they're probably going to be the favorites in their division uh, moving forward. So I don't like doing it. But if you were going to take a look at what a potential James Harden to the Knicks trade, and again, that's the key word, that's what it would, how it would have to be done, potentially what it would look like. You're giving up draft picks. And I like some of the articles uh, in the past that Bleacher Report um, has put out where they're identifying, well, what might this look like? And I kind of agreed with what they put out, maybe minus the extra first-round pick. If you're going to do this, you have to be okay with losing Barrett. You trade for James Harden whenever. Barrett's gone. Emmanuel quickly is also going. I think any, any, any article that you read, any conversation you have that includes this trade that doesn't have those two guys, it's not going to happen. Why? Because those are two legitimate pieces that would be going back to Philadelphia that keeps them legitimate, that keeps them in the mix with Embiid. And if you want to throw another wrench into it, maybe Philadelphia is looking to move him for a haul. I mean, this is a guy that just won the freaking MVP of the league. And he's in various trade rumors. Don't believe every, right? Don't just read the headline, read the article, right? Don't believe everything you see. You got to be careful with what you read. But there are rumors there from legitimate sources. Bleacher Report is a very legitimate source. CBS Sports is a very legitimate source. NBA.com, the mothership, is obviously a very legitimate source. Where I disagreed with what Bleacher Report put out, I you, you lose Jericho Sims. That's a nice young big. There's not too many dominant bigs in the NBA. They would say would probably cost the Knicks three players, two of them being quickly Barrett, possibly Sims, and a 24 and a 26 first-round pick. I don't know that I'm parting with two first-round picks. And if I'm not doing that, that deal probably doesn't get done. But I think that would be a lot for a guy who's 33. And again, however you feel about him, has been problematic in some destinations. Brooklyn couldn't get rid of him fast enough. And part of the problem there, again, was Kyrie Irving. I mean, you want to talk about basketball cancer, it's Kyrie. And it's a shame because he's got the most talent on the planet. He's done some great things. You'll never forget that shot he hit in Game 7 for Cleveland when they came back 3-1 and won that series to give Cleveland's first NBA title when LeBron was going nuts. Great moment. But there's been a lot of negatives with that guy. And now Dallas is going to have to be dealing with them until he gets sick of them, which is inevitable in my opinion, or they get sick of him. So now this puts out James Harden being, if he is in fact on the trade block, which it sounds like he is, the Knicks are a suitor. But the Knicks have to be careful here. 
You're coming off a successful season. I know it ended in disappointing fashion. But the nice thing there is at least Miami went to the finals, right? The team that booted you at least got within a sniff of a ring. You've got some cohesiveness with this Knicks team. A healthy Mitch Robinson. Brunson, who might be the best straight-up pure point guard guard the Knicks have had the last two, three decades. Right? They've been clamoring for a pure point guard, an essential one. They've got it now. Julius Randle frustrates you. Bad postseason. Bad demeanor. No leadership or lack thereof in certain spots. R.J. Barrett, I thought, was much better in the playoffs than the regular season, and I think he didn't get enough credit uh, in, in many instances where he could have. I think there's decisions to be made with Obi Toppin. I think there's definitely going to be decisions made with Emmanuel quickly, which is why I think that would be an attractive piece there for a team like Philadelphia. Well, we're going to move on from Harden. But we want to stay relevant. And if we can get players to invest in long term, certainly like an R.J. Barrett and probably like an Emmanuel quickly, well, then maybe this goes down and you'd be perhaps according to Bleacher Report. And I don't disagree with it, which is why I'm using them as my reference here. A Jericho Sims, who had some nice moments for the Knicks. A young big. The picks are, are going to be what the Knicks think about the most because history hasn't been so kind there. And we know that. And that's not me reinventing the wheel here. You know, I'm not saying anything I don't think most people would agree with. And I've got people on social media who just send me things because they love to, they think they're going to aggravate me. And I sit there and laugh and I sip my coffee or my, my Cabernet at times and I read them and I don't even respond. Sometimes I just respond with a thank you. So those of you who are loving what I say, great. Those of you who hate what I say, great. Keep it coming. The more people you piss off in radio, the more successful you're going to be anyway. That's what I learned in college. I'll never forget that. The more noise you make, the bigger the paycheck. So that this is where we are in the NBA. As free agency opened today, and it's hot, right out of the gates. I mean, the Middleton deal makes so much sense for Milwaukee because the way the season ended with that loss in the first round to Miami was, it was ugly. And obviously we know the type of basketball, the brand of basketball Miami was playing at that time. But you're not that team getting bounced in that fashion with Giannis Antetokounmpo running the show. So to keep Middleton here is a, is a big deal for Milwaukee moving forward. Now we'll see where some of the other big chips fall. Because as that's happened, uh, Trey Jones gets 20 mil on a two-year deal to, to uh, go to San Antonio. Cam Johnson got paid, which is a big deal for Brooklyn. This all happened within the last 20, 25 minutes, and I myself am still playing catch-up. Four years, a buck eight for Cam Johnson. And you remember Johnson came to Brooklyn via the Kevin Durant deal who went to Phoenix. Brooklyn wound up keeping the pieces together. Brooklyn is a good example, probably for Philadelphia to look at when they move on from Harden if they want to stay relevant and competitive. Brooklyn did that. Getting rid of Kyrie, getting rid of Durant, but getting pieces back to keep them in the mix. And all they did was make the playoffs as a sixth seed. Now, they got bounced and swept by Philly in the first round, but they got there. Talented team. Cam Johnson was a big part of that. That worked out well. Jacob Podol's got a four-year, $80 million uh, contract to stay as the big man in Toronto. Uh, I told you about Kyrie. That was a three-year, $126 million deal. So he's going to stay in Dallas. Uh, George Neang just got a three-year, $26 million deal with Cleveland. And Jeremy Grant gets paid as well. Uh, this about 45 minutes ago with Portland, five years, a buck 60. Uh, he's represented by Clutch Sports. So he's going to stay, uh, he's going to uh, Portland. So the wheels keep turning in NBA free agency. Moore's going to come back uh, while we're on this show. Kyle Kuzma, four years, $100 million, $102 million to stay with Washington. That's a big deal with them. Cleveland Inks, Karis Levert, the old Brooklyn net on a two-year $32 million contract. So it gives them a legitimate outside shooter. Uh, and look, you're looking overall from a salary cap perspective, what teams are working with this year. 
Uh, Woj over at ESPN put the cap at 136 million uh, with the tax level of 100, just north of 165 million. So you've got money here, and some bigger names are going to continue to fall. Lakers are expected to give uh, Austin Reeves uh, a sizable offer. So we'll keep an eye on that as we move forward. Uh, because even when the big guys fall, uh, there's going to have to be tertiary moves that take place for other teams. Got to fill a roster, right? I mean, that that's how this goes. Um, that's how this is all going to come down. But the big news thus far, Harden on the trade block, it would seem. Kyrie staying in Dallas. Chris Middleton goes back to Milwaukee. And Draymond Green staying in Golden State. This all within the quick window um, from about 6 o'clock on with free agency in the NBA officially opening today. Again, for those listening live, Friday, uh, June 30th. So it's 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 hectic, it's chaotic, but it's why I love sports. And it's why the NBA continues to be such a huge draw. Um, you know, and speaking of that, before we transition a little bit into baseball, uh, with basketball in mind, again, it's sad. And I went through it years ago. Look, I now my loyal listeners know I wouldn't give up as frustrating as it can be at times being a school teacher for anything. I love it. I really do. It's the most rewarding you could possibly do. And it opens a lot of doors. I'm coaching baseball, this, that, and the other thing. But I was part of a round of layoffs years ago through the Disney Corporation. Just when I was getting my my teeth sunk in and everything was going well, Disney comes in, buys my, my uh, division of Major League Baseball, and the layoffs start. They're going through it again with ESPN, and they've gotten rid of some of their big-name headline uh, reporters and anchors. Susie Culber, there's not too many men or women you'll see report on the National Football League better than that woman did in her 25-plus years with the network. She's basically a cap casualty. She was told her services at ESPN are no longer needed. After I think it was 27 years. You wanted information. You know, you, Chris Mortensen and Adam Schefter do an unbelievable job with breaking news in the NFL. They're the two best. But from a reporter a show host spot, engaging interviews where you, you, you ask purposeful questions and care about your job and don't attack guys. Nobody was better than Susie Culver. She's going to land on her feet. She'll get, she's probably got a job already. But it, it, it kind of makes your stomach turn when you see these layoffs, especially having worked in sports media and seeing just how yeah, unethical and unloyal the industry could be. And I was a, I don't, it wasn't even a small fish. I was a, a teeny fish in a humongous pond, and it still stunk. The reason I brought this up coming off the NBA segment, another casualty here was Jeff Van Gundy. And in my opinion, he's the best color analyst, analyst we've ever seen on NBA coverage. Not only in recency did he work so well with Mark Jackson and Mike Breen, who might be the best play-by-play guy, not in basketball, in all of sports. But he came at it like Jackson did, why Mark Jackson is so great at breaking down plays. It was a point and a pretty damn good one. Van Gundy saw things before they happened. And Jeff Van Gundy was the coach of the Knicks within, when those, with those battles with the Miami Heat of yesteryear, with Pat Riley on the, uh, and with, when, when the Knicks fan base just completely flipped the script on how they viewed Pat Riley, uh, Benedict Arnold as a tra- Judas as a trader, to now coach the Miami Heat after basically just bailing on the Knicks and Jeff Van Gundy, a big part of those battles where those two teams legitimately hated one another. They took the floor and wanted a kick, and they did. And Van Gundy was as big; he kind of resurrected Nick basketball after a little lull. Now it was no surprise that the Knicks went into a swan dive after. Uh, Van Gundy was out. But this is a big loss. And not for ESPN, because from these things that I'm reading, when the new budgets come out and revenue sharing, that ESPN is going to be doing well. I, I don't understand how that is. They just threw $85 million at Pat McAfee to host his show. And they're paying Stephen A. Smith God knows what. While all these other people who have engaging shows are being kicked out. I can't figure it out. Y'all know, y'all see what ESPN is trying to do uh, from a social perspective or political perspective. It's going to bite them eventually. 
Now, they're, they're a power player under the Disney umbrella. They're ESPN, right? They're, they're the worldwide leader in sports. But the layoffs like this go, go a long way with fans. When people that have loyalty there. Now, you could replace Van Gundy with someone like Doris Burke, and that's fine. She does a great job. She knows the ins and outs of the game. But I'm guaranteeing you, there are a lot of people who watch these games to hear what a guy like Mark Jackson or a Jeff Van Gundy has to say. That's why I've always said, when I do play-by-play, right? for anyone who's ever done it or wants to do it, you're calling the game. When it comes to being an analyst, as a play-by-play guy, shut your mouth. Let the guy or girl sitting next to you, the man or woman sitting next to you, break that down. That's why Breen, Van Gundy, and Jackson work so well together. And unfortunately for ESPN and the NBA on ABC, because ABC is a part of that, under that umbrella, we're not going to have that. There's still good talent out there. Van Gundy's been linked to some assistant jobs. Whether or not he wants that, I don't know. Um, He's certainly got the moxie, the wherewithal and knowledge to do it. It's just a matter of where and when. Maybe he takes some time. A lot of guys do that. So we'll see. Um, But I just... I wanted to bring that up as a piggyback to the NBA because I know even reading on, on socials and nobody feels this more than Van Gundy, right? This is him. You know, you could be well off, but that's still, that's still your job. You still need an income. You still need money. And for Jeff Van Gundy, it'll be, you know, it'll hit him more in his heart than it will in his wallet. Because you could tell when you're listening to games, who cares and who's into it. Most importantly, who's prepared. J- JVG was always always prepared um and it's 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 going to be something that we as as fans for from for that particular brand miss but it's all part of these layoffs uh you know espn's initial round with disney was was pre-planned now these come in as they as as they go through a redesign they're not going to call it a rebranding it's a redesign so we'll see how they do this because they've got some big contracts on the budget at the expense of a lot of veterans um, Susie Culber and Jeff Van Gundy today, uh, I use them as the example because not only were they my two favorite, I think they were the two best uh, in that role that the network um, had. So I want to bring in our first caller of the evening. Vinny's on the line. Vin, what's up, Al? What's up, Pete? How you doing? I just, first I heard of this, Jeff Van Gundy and Susie Culber got fired? Yeah, uh, services no longer needed at the at the, the uh, World and Mark Jackson and Mike Breen kept their job. Well, I mean, Breen's, you know, it, it's a little different a lot of the times with the play-by-play guys. Um, I okay, mean, Breen so is, is, is a Hall of so Fame. Mark, Jack, Mark Jackson kept his job. As far as I know. Uh, but and the, but the issue it's, here it's, becomes... It's, nonsense. With the, uh, well, Vin, nonsense. It, it boils down to money. There's no loyalty. It has nothing to do with money. It has to do with Jeff Van Gundy speaks his mind, and these woke douches don't want to hear him speak his mind anymore because he doesn't care who he calls out he calls out anybody and he, he tells it like it is and you can't tell it like it is no more they want a yes man like max kellerman who's out there for social justice you know and and lbgtqb whatever 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 it is they want a man like max Kellerman who's just a company man who's the worst he just he, he's such a company man it, it's nauseating and Stephen oh, a smith I, I, I'll Steve, tell you, Stephen A. Smith knows right from wrong, but yet he's still he's still he's still he's still paraded for all this nonsense. But Jeff Van Gundy speaks his Jeff Van Gundy speaks his mind, and he nobody knows basketball like that guy does. Exactly, okay? and I and I and I and I think you know a lot with some of the other guys that were of interest to me. I I don't know. I I I've got to think. I I believe Kellerman. I know they were pulling a show. I think he might have been he's part of these layoffs. He's, he's a rat. But Keyshawn he's Johnson was another one, too, that kind of surprised me because he was he a good listen. Off? Yeah, he was a good listen. He's yeah, another one. He who, speak, he was, he, he's he another one who said what was on his mind. He speaks I'm his mind, Keyshawn. And nobody yeah, wants I, to hear you know, no, Nobody wants to hear a guy who tells the truth. That's the yeah, problem. I, I thought nobody, he, was a, he was a great listen. Yeah, nobody. Keyshawn was great because he told it like it is. And he always got Max panties in a bunch. I watch that yeah. show every morning. And yeah. Max couldn't handle Keyshawn telling the truth. It, yeah. it, it's just like it was on Showtime Boxing. 
they had a, it was uh, Paulie Malinaji. Uh, <laughs> yes. And who was who was the who was the old guy? Uh, Lampley the did boxing, the HBO huh? stuff. No, not Lampley. What's his face? Uh, uh, well, the old the old guy, Paulie Mal Paulie Malinaji oh. said something about how Larry Merchant. Not Larry Merchant. Not Larry Merchant. Paulie Malinaji said something about how European Eastern Bloc Europeans are taking over boxing, and they took that as a racial slur, and the guy got fired. Mm-hmm. And nobody took nobody took his back except Teddy Atlas. The only one who said anything. Yeah. This is why Teddy this is why Teddy Atlas got fired from ESPN because he spoke his mind constantly. You know. And Paulie Mal he 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 is the best play by play boxing guy around, hands down. Yeah. And they replaced him with this guy Adam Mares, who was a great boxer, but he can't speak in one. He speaks worse than I do. Put it that way. He can't speak in one <laughs> sentence. <laughs> he can't Listen. speak in one sentence. Excuse me. I, I don't. I, so, I don't disagree with you. It's just. Yeah, uh, I'm so sick of it. I'm so sick of it. It's become a big part of the, the the sports world lately that these layoffs were coming. You just didn't know where. And you know, right around this time, where NBA free agency is going yeah. to be the focus, right? Of of mm-hmm. you know, it, during its off season, following an entertaining draft, you have this uh, kind of souring. You know, Neil Everett was a Sports Center anchor for 23 years and a damn good one. Gone. You know, tell me one so more these guy, are the guys. Guy I mean, yeah, tell me one guy that knows Pat more about basketball. Eighty-five million dollars. Yeah, so yeah, tell me one. Tell insane. me one guy who knows more about basketball than Jeff Van Gundy. And uh, the guy's listen. funny. He's a funny guy. He's a great listener. Yeah. He's, he's he's a funny guy too. Those commercials, those commercials in the in the in the trailer, in yeah, the, in the camp. Yeah, those they're hysterical. You know, I just I just want to say one more thing about the Mets. Yeah, go ahead. They that's, a, I'm getting in they now. They gotta fire Buck Walt. I mean, enough They're is enough. Gonna. This guy, this guy sits there like he's a a ninety five year old guy in a retirement community waiting for his pudding to come. He, he he's got to go. He's got to go. He's got to go. He, he's he's a stale. He's a stale as nine day. He's a stale as thirty day old bread. He's got to go. He just like you know, fuck manufacture run. How many times I watch the Mets have first and second no outs and they can't score a run? Yeah, the other hey, night bases loaded, bases loaded no outs. They score one run on a walk. Listen, the Yankees and Mets do a lot of the similar things. It's just right now, um, and it's it's not exactly a a nod of respect. The Yankees are just a little bit better than the Mets are, um, but yeah. this Mets team is in disarray. I, I listen. I don't disagree with you. I just where I where I might shy away from it is just you're stuck with yeah. Buck for at least the rest of the year, unless the wheels completely so. fall off. No, they, he's not going anywhere. And one more thing, I just want to touch on the Jets one more second. Here we go. This I, I wait Jet for this fans, every week. Jet, Jet fans are out of there. All they are building this team up, and they are going to be. It's going to be a free fall, and it's going to be a splatter all over the ground when this team. They're gonna when they lose to Buffalo, then they lose to the Cowboys, then they lose to the Patriots, and they got the Chiefs coming in in Game Four. I I can't wait. These guys, they're all going to be crying for Salah's head. They're Listen, do you, you want to? I'll I'll get tickets. We'll link up. We could go to the Jets Giants game I'm, October 29th. I'm going. I'm going week one. I'm going. <laughs> I'm going to. I'm going to Joe Jets tailgate. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. They'll probably try to kill me there, but I'm. This is. There is no way this team is winning more than seven games. It's absolutely not happening. It's not happening. These Jet fans are building this team up. I, I'm. I'm on one site right now. Lady saying Brees Hall is going to be the MVP. Brees Hall had ACL surgery November 18th. He's not even going to play till November. These, these yeah. Jet fans are out of their minds. Yeah, that's a little Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers is there for a paycheck, and that's all he's there for. You're going to see it. You will see it. He's going to throw Salah right under the bus. By week five, he throws Salah under the bus. All right. Pete, nice talking <laughs> to you. Vinny, I love you. Uh-huh. Thanks, pal. Bye. I'll talk to you later. Hey, listen, he's out of his freaking mind, but it's what it's all about, right? You 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 give your your, your listeners the floor and let them run with it. Uh, Vinny makes good points here, uh, specifically what we're talking about with these layoffs over at ESPN. It's sad, and, and it's sad from the perspective of you know these are people that you you're you're basically bringing into your home, right? When you sit down to watch an NBA uh, on ABC game, 
it's Breen Jackson and Van Gundy. Now that's going to change. You know, you, you look forward to the Monday Night Football, the pregame show. You know, they got six men and women sitting on the dais, but it's anchored by Susie Culber. That's going to change now. That sucks, right? This is, it's a part of the industry. I, I don't necessarily think, and and I'm, and I'm not saying this out of spite because I hold no uh, ill will towards my, my my previous employer working at MLB and Disney, um, where they, they certainly could probably reevaluate these things better and have a little more loyalty to, to the veterans who have been there. And I mean, Susie Culber is ESPN. You know, Neil Everett is ESPN. The Sports Center out in the West Coast was was, was one of the best. Uh, Neil Everett and Stan Verrett anchored one of the best sports centers you know that I've seen in, in my lifetime, and that includes you know Stu Scott and Rich Eisen. So it, it's sad to see go through these things, and I and I agree with Vinny. It's it's there is an element of 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 people being silenced for fear of repercussions or or being canceled. I mean, it's let's let's call it what it is. It's 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 out of freaking control. And and that and that does play into a lot of it. Um, uh, but all right, with that in mind, I, I just want to switch gears. Um, Mets owner Steve Cohen obviously not thrilled with what is happening in Queens. Uh, this is a Mets team with the highest payroll in the history of sports. That is seventeen and a half games back in the National League East, behind the Atlanta Braves. Nine games back in the National League Wild Card. And 36 and 45 overall. Earlier in the week, he addressed the media, uh, and these were among some of the comments that he made about the team and about the job status of manager Buck Showalter. It's been incredibly frustrating. I watch every game, I see what's going on. If you ask me, you know, would I have expected us to be in this position at the beginning of the season? The answer is no. We have quality players. Uh, for some reason or another, they're not yelling when we pitch well. We don't hit. When we hit, we don't pitch well. Can you say definitively that Billy and Buck will remain in their jobs through the season? Absolutely. Look, Show Walters here through the end of the campaign. Unless this thing completely unravels. The same for Epler. And here's where the, where the, the Billy Epler part, and, and I guess to a certain extent Show Walter, um, becomes even more essential. Steve Cohen, since he took over control of the team, wanted to hire a manager of baseball operations. He had to you know, go through a lot of red tape, and, and he eventually settled on uh, Billy Epler to run the show, Buck Showalter as his manager. And that kind of put got put on the back burner last year with the Mets hiring a manager of baseball operations. They won 101 games. So the development, the trajectory of this, of this franchise goes north instantaneously. And you kind of put that on the back burner. Now he still plans to hire uh, an MBO guy who would then oversee Epler and then Buck Showalter. Um, but you can hear it in Cohen's voice. There's no panicking, specifically with his GM and his manager. He's not going to make a rash decision. Look, this they haven't looked good. And coming off a 3-2 loss to Milwaukee, the offense continues to struggle. Pete Alonzo is seven for 42, 43, whatever it is, since coming back June 18 from an 11 game absence. Uh, one other thing that Cohen did address uh, was that he reached out to Jeff McNeil. Now, Jeff McNeil is a guy who hit plus 320 last season in a nice rebound campaign from the year prior. This year, he's just above 250. Um, and he really, it's been a struggle for him at the plate. So Cohen reached out just to check in on him. You know, that's all well and good. But the bottom line is, you know, you love your guys. You want to win with your guys. You know, the trade deadline is going to be here when you have an opportunity to make moves in, in a month, right? There's got to be that sense of, all right, we're going to have to start making moves to better this. Because at 36 and 45, you're 81 games into the season and you're 17 and a half games out of the lead in the National League East. And that's the Atlanta Braves you're chasing. That's a World Series-ready team. Nine games out of the wild card. This is a nightmare. And, and it, nothing short of a nightmare season for the Mets. And one of the things that sort of gets stale with Steve Cohen, and, and we get it, is the blame on, you know, the Wilpons and all that stuff. Yeah, you know... You, you drain out the farm system, well, you got to rebuild it. I mean, it's 
it, you get it gets old just blaming this blaming that person i just make the changes you're in charge now it doesn't matter what happened in the past nobody cares so i think that's part of the frustration as much as steve cohen is loved by the mets fan base and he should be he puts money in he puts passion in he's a legitimate met fan which is important gets people to the stadium there's got to be I, I think a little bit more fire under his butt to say you know what well everything i said might have been fine yeah if things don't change quick then i might have to make those rash decisions and those quick changes i mean that's the nature of the beast you know i think if if that tone would have been taken that way i think the met fan base would have felt a little bit better coming off his little state of the union there you know he didn't have to do that which i i think it was great that he did kind of humanizes him and as someone who wants this team to be successful not just from a cash perspective but from a wins loss perspective which right now they are amongst the worst teams in baseball you know you're not putting them in the category with the oakland a's and a, and a bad royals team but they're dumpster fire they're a lousy baseball team that has 36 wins heading into July after winning 101 a season ago. That's a problem. And it's a problem that's got to change. And, it, you know, Alonzo's got to step up. McNeil's got to play better. Starling Marte could be on the move. Moved on from Eduardo Escobar, get two minor leaguers in return. Okay, fine. The Daniel Vogelback love fest with Showalter, I know, has driven Met fans nuts, uh, nuts since, since go. Right? And the pitching's got to be better. So you're going to have to get, you have to lean on your veterans. They're going to be Scherzer and Verlander. That's pretty freaking good. But they're going to need a collective effort if they're going to dig out of this. Now, it's not insurmountable. They've dug out of deficits before. They did it last season. Obviously, chasing down Atlanta, um, you know, to push things uh, into the last couple of weeks. And Atlanta coming back and fighting the Mets, jockeying around for NLE supremacy. So this team is is battle-tested. And now you got to see it. Right? I think both from a Met and a Yankee perspective, Yankees in a little bit of a different spot. More on that in a second. I think the All-Star break coming up in, in 10 days or whatever it is, July 10th is the home run derby. It's going to be good for both teams to hit that reset button and say, okay, here's our vision for the second half of the season. This is what we need to do. Let's shut up and let's do it. And, I, and if you're the Mets now, where the offense is struggling, going into a new month, flipping from June to July, you'd like to get off to a nice start in this home set that starts tonight with San Francisco. Right now, top second, Mets and Giants tied at one. Giants are a good team. They're right in this mix. All right, you got three with them, a day off, and then you got three on the road in Arizona and three on San Diego. That's how you go into the All-Star break. And I'll tell you what, this is why preseason predictions are absurd. Never would have had Arizona this good. And I and I said it on the show last two uh, two weeks ago. This Arizona team is championship good. If you haven't seen this pitching staff led by Zach Gallen or the young man patrolling center field, Corbin Carroll, you've got to watch this kid play ball. You want to talk about five-tool baseball? This kid, Corbin Carroll's got everything. Now, they're out in West, so they're on late if you're on the East Coast like I am. But do yourself a favor. Sit down and watch a D-backs game one night. This team is legit. And San Diego has struggled mightily this year. Uh, there's parallels there with what the Mets are going through with the payroll, with the big names, and it just hasn't come to fruition this year for San Diego. But that is not a team you want to be messing around with even though the Padres, you know, seven games under, ten and a half out of the out of the out of first place uh, in their respective division, the NL West, but they're a team that you know eight games out of the wild card, right in front of the Mets here. Two teams that you would have had pegged for the postseason are toward the middle bottom of the National League standings. If you're talking strictly from a wild card perspective, so you got three with San Francisco at home starting tonight. A day off Monday. Then you got three in Arizona and three in San Diego before the break. Not easy.
but you can quell a lot of the panicking from Queens by just winning. Simplify things and win. Manufacture runs. Produce runs. Lean on your veterans. Alonzo and McNeil have got to take the reins offensively, just like the vets, Verlander and Scherzer, have got to do it in the rotation. Now, you can lean on specific guys, and around them, everything else takes care of itself. It does happen. Leadership goes a long way in any level. You flip the script, and the Yankees have the opposite record of the Mets, 45 and 36. Here's the problem. Yankees play in the bar none best division in Major League Baseball, the American League East. Yanks are nine and a half games behind Tampa Bay, who's come back to earth a little bit. But if the playoffs started today, the Yankees would be in there, a half game clear of that third wild card spot. And you heard it in the open. It was a nice moment for Domingo Herman, who you know, listening to my show, I'm not the biggest fan of for a reason that should be obvious. The, the, the perfect game in Oakland uh, was huge. And uh, 20 of the 27 outs he recorded came via a curveball, which is super impressive. 15th no-hitter in Yankees history in the fourth perfect game. And I'll give you a fun little story here uh, that ties into my history and uh, lifetime fandom as a Yankee fan. The last perfect game for the Yankees came from David Cohn in 1999 against the Montreal Expos. My father and I had tickets to that game. So every summer, my family would go away to Point Pleasant, New Jersey. If you've been there, it's a wonderful place. And the nice thing about Point Pleasant, even I, my wife and I go, uh, when we can, we want to take our, our little 10-month-old daughter who will be, you know, a, a year in August this summer, take her down there. Point Pleasant, you know, during the day, it doesn't become that wild scene like a seaside or a wildwood, you know, with the bar hop. And that takes place later at night. And that's all well and good, right? You know, I'm not the get-off-my-lawn guy. I get it. But Point Pleasant was always, you know, the family-oriented beach destination, right? So 1999, we go down and we go to this place uh, called The Ark for dinner right across from where we were staying. Great place. They have a uh, port wine cheddar cheeseburger that is to die for. The Ark in Point Pleasant. Maybe I'll get them to see if they can sponsor me. Um, anyway, we have tickets to this game, but we give them to family friends because we're going to be on vacation. All right. You're going to miss David Cone pitch. That sucks. Uh, against the Expos at the stadium. <laughs> Cone throws a perfect game. I was sitting in the restaurant watching the game, and the, I remember they didn't have the volume on. Um, I, and a matter of fact, I think it was a Saturday afternoon. They didn't have the volume on. So I kept saying to my dad, I, something's going on over there. It, everybody in the stadium is standing and it's the seventh inning. That doesn't happen unless they're doing the ridiculous wave, which should be outlawed in every stadium. If you're going to a ball game to do the wave, stay home. So my father's described I think he might be, you know, flirting with a perfect game. No, it's, that's not happened. I said, let's go over and see. Sure enough, it was a perfect game. We watched the 8th. We watched the ninth. Hope you enjoyed the tickets that we had uh, tickets for. Could have been at David Cohn's perfect game in 1999, but instead, as a 13-year-old who only wanted to watch sports and go to games and play games, uh, I was in a restaurant, probably not even eating that cheeseburger. Right? I don't even, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I was. The bottom line is I wasn't at that game. So Domingo Homan, the first Yankee to throw a perfect game since that moment in 1999. But again, and I've said it the last couple of weeks, I think it's fair. There are a lot of teams in Major League Baseball that would sign up to be nine games over 500 with the All-Star break some 10 games away, some 10 days away, 45 and 36. But I think despite being nine above 500 and in playoff spot, the season for the Yankees has been aggravating. Part of the annoyance comes from, yes, the injuries. All right, Anthony Rizzo now day-to-day after he was hit by a pitch. X-rays, thank God, are negative. Uh, Carlos Radon there. You get good news here um, after seeing three specialists for, for back discomfort. Um, he's got a rehab start coming up. If he can go 60-plus, he's probably going to be called up to the rotation. So that's your big off-season fish after re-signing Aaron Judge. Montas maybe in the second half. Nestor Cortez is going to throw BP in the next couple of days. He'll be back in July. Aaron Judge is throwing the baseball again, which uh, you, you can't make this stuff up. The ex- expectation is he'll return sometime in August. Greg Allen and Willie Calhoun are still out until July. And J- Jonathan Lewisaga, who's one of their better relievers, is gone until August, September. So that's 
part of the frustration with this team. I think you can give the credit, which I probably haven't done enough of, of the fact that they're 45 and 36. Where the annoyance comes with this New York Yankee team, who again, if the playoffs started today, would be in. Yeah, I don't I don't want to say that this has been a disastrous season. I just it, there's nothing about this team that lights the fire under my butt that said I watch the games because I almost feel like I have to. I always I say it to my wife, I feel like I'm doing something wrong when I'm not doing anything in the games on and I'm not watching it. Like that's I'm a nerd. I right. It's but to me. A big part of my annoyance comes from this continued praise of Josh Donaldson by Aaron Boone. So in my opinion, there are three things, and I never, and I just went through a segment of these ESPN layoffs, I'll never call for guys losing jobs. But changes need to be made here. I don't think Aaron Boone, number one, is fit for the day-to-day with this gig. I don't. It's And, and the term by the book is used very loosely. But these these pitch counts, the matchup crap, uh, taking guys out uh, after minimal pitches, it just doesn't work. A guy's coasting, and because he might be at an innings uh, innings or a pitch limit, even though the opposing offense hasn't touched him, he's getting yanked because the, the metrics uh, or the numbers say to do so. I, there's just no gut involved here, and I just and I don't ever think you really get that sense from in the media that anything's ever wrong, and that's a problem. So I don't know that this is a good fit anymore. And at number two, as great as the run has been, and it goes back to when I was 9, 10 years old in 1996 as a part of this franchise forever, Brian Cashman's time has come. I mean, you see the lackluster moves. Judge, this signing judge was a no-brainer. But you can question the Montas trade. Was he, was he injured when you traded for him uh, to come over from Oakland? Rodon hasn't sniffed the mound in the majors because of the injuries. And recently, the list goes on and on. Sticking with Aaron Hicks. Now Josh Donaldson. Black holes in the lineup. And I'll tell you this, third, and, and nothing is going to change here, which is annoying. Hal Steinbrenner's living in an alternate universe. And what pisses me off the most is that as long as this organization, the club, revenue shares, sales departments, make their money, there's not going to be a panic button to hit. Because the club right now is constituted as a playoff team, but that's it. You can't tell me that this, yeah, and that should be to go, hey, we got in with a wild card team. You can't look me in the face right now and tell me that the New York Yankees are better than the Baltimore Orioles, Tampa Bay Rays, Texas Rangers, or even the Houston Astros. Heck, I don't even know if they're better than the Blue Jays or the Boston Red Sox, who made them look silly not too long ago in Fenway. And from my perspective with Hal Steinbrenner, the guy doesn't seem to mind as long as they remain relevant, which they are, and pump out money, which I promise you, having been there a couple of weeks ago on a Friday night, they are. And I think that's sad. If the boss was here, everybody would be gone. Everyone would be gone. And you all know that. This is not to say, fire everyone. Guys have lives. Guys have family. But the Boone Cashman time has come. And it's not as if these guys aren't going to get jobs. Boone did well in TV. Cashman will be hired instantaneously. But something's got to change here. Now, you're in the mix. That's great. Yankees aren't winning the AL East, barring monster changes at the deadline. It's just not going to happen. Tampa Bay, even though coming back to earth, Baltimore may very well catch them. As Baltimore's done a nice job with bringing up some of their younger players, getting an influx of young talent with their veterans, and they brought up this good-looking shortstop, Jordan Westberg. All he's done is come up and hit since he's been up. And they might have the best closer in Felix Bautista, if not just in the American League, overall in Major League Baseball. So this is what the Yankees are up against, and it, and it just stings a little bit that the owner doesn't have a little more fire in his belly uh, to make some of these changes. Also mentioned uh, in in about 10 days' time, the MLB All-Star break will come. First with the home run derby. Right now, Vlad Jr. and Julio Rodriguez, last year's runner-up. Rodriguez having a down year, but the the game is going to be played um, 
at T-Mobile Park in Seattle. So Rodriguez, being a Mariner, is going to participate again. Gleyber Torres has been linked to it. Juan Soto, the defending champion, is toying with the return. And Mookie Betts, the Dodgers, uh, might participate as well. That'll be on uh, July 10th, the All-Star game itself, July 11th. Reserves and the crop of pitchers for both teams will be unveiled uh, July 2nd at 5.30 on ESPN. They announced the starters uh, earlier in the week. And this is a this is a fun group. You've got a good mix of veteran All-Stars and first-timers and some guys who are, are making their first appearances as a starter, which is great. You got both catchers, Shamurf, who's having a monster year in Atlanta, and Jonah Heim in Texas. They're going to make their starting debuts. They've had incredible first halves. Uh, Freddie Freeman of the Dodgers is going to make his fourth appearance as a starter at first base. Uh, Luis Arias, he's flirting with 400, a 400 batting average. He's going to get his first start out of Miami. Uh, Josh Young, who's a phenomenal young player for the Texas Rangers, manning the hot corner for them. Starts for the first time for the American League. The veteran Nolan Arenado is going to get his fifth start in his eighth All-Star appearance. Uh, and Shohei Otani is here for the third time as a DH starter. Mike Trout is going to start for the 10th time. And even though we haven't seen him because of the toe injury, uh, he suffered in early June. Aaron Judge, don't expect to see him in this game. Uh, but he did earn his fifth starting invite to the All-Star game. I mean, this is a fun pool of players. Uh, Robbie Thompson will manage the, the Phillies as last season's runner-up out of the National League, and Dusty Baker, the defending champion, Houston Astros, will manage the American League team. You know, I think these are. this is going to be a, a really fun game. Uh, I think you might expect, you know, Garrett Cole's got to be in the mix to start uh, for the American League. He's had a phenomenal year um, out in the National League. Gallon uh, could get a look there uh, from Arizona to be the starter in the National League. They're, they're going to have plenty of guys to pick from. Um, Based on, of course, you got to take an injury and availability, of course, into account pitch limits and, and such. But it'll be a fun event, and and the home run derby field will start to fill out as well um, as we get closer to this break. Um, you know, but I think overall, I think this will be a, an interesting way uh, to hit the reset button for a lot of teams. You've got some teams that are still in contention: the Pirates, the Cubs, the Reds are playing good ball, the Giants are playing good ball, Arizona's played great, the Dodgers obviously are always going to be in the mix. The Mets have a lot of work to do, but it's going to be good for them to get the break. And then the Yankees to kind of reevaluate maybe some of the changes that they could and probably should make, i.e. at third base, um, coming out of the break. And it's going to give some guys a little extra time, like an Anthony Rizzo uh, and certainly Aaron Judge, to get healthy. Uh, and by the way, it's also been good to see Anthony Volpe a little bit better with the stick uh, the last couple of games as his average. Uh, has gone north of 200. Um, so it, it, it's obviously going to be something that uh, we'll continue to watch um, as this goes on um, moving forward. Uh, gears as we get ready to uh, sort of wrap up uh, this week's edition. Wimbledon kick off uh, at all England club. Carlos Alcaraz on the men's side of 20-year-olds. Igor Vantek is going to be the top seed on the ladies' side. Novak Djokovic is the two seed. So Wimbledon does their season baseball game ranking. Um, Novak is the two seed here. He's won the last four at the All England Club 2020, obviously, uh, because of the COVID 19 pandemic. But the Jokers won seven of the past 11 Wimbledon crowns overall, um, which is incredible. Javantek has four majors of her own. But she, oddly enough, has never made it past the fourth round in Wimbledon. Um, so I'll give you some names for those who are interested in watching it on the grass courts. Um, and, and you'll see it's a lot different from the French on that clay. Right? It's certainly different. We've got the U.S. Open in August on the hard court. Uh, on grass, you know, you got divots, different spin. The ball will die. Um, there are so many elements that make Wimbledon uh, you know, what I would consider to be must-see TV. But on the men's draw, Daniil Medvedev is the number three seed. He's going to have a big shot here. This is a talented men's group, but it sets up very nicely uh, for a Alcaraz-Jokovic final. Uh, more on that in a second. Stefanos Tsitsipas is the fifth seed. I love this kid, Francis Tiafo, uh, the ninth seed. And then you can't rule out Nick Kyrgios. Uh, not the greatest of seasons coming in, uh, but he was last season's runner-up. 
Um, and Andy Murray, unseated, two-time champion, now 36 years old. Wouldn't it be cool to see him geese up that crowd a little bit and play well um, and, and make a little bit of a run toward the title as that you know savvy veteran who can still play uh, unseated? That would be pretty cool. Venus Williams is making her 24th appearance uh, on the ladies' side. She's going to open against Alina Zvitolina. Um, so that's something definitely to keep an eye on. Elena Ribikina is the defending champion. She's the three seed this year. Jessica Pagula and Coco Goff, uh, the top seeded Americans at four and seven, respectively. But from my prediction, tennis fans uh, across the globe have been waiting for a rematch of the French Open semifinal between uh, Alcaraz and Djokovic. It was awesome for two sets, and then Alcaraz deals with cramps. Was never the same, goes down in defeat. If they meet again at Wimbledon, it's going to be in the final as the one and the two, which would be awesome. Now, it's never easy to be the top two seeds and get down through the bracket. The most difficult potential match on paper for Djokovic would be Kyrgios in the quarterfinals, but I do see both men, the one and the two, getting to the final, and I think Joker pulls it out for his fifth straight win on the grass courts and what would be uh, his 24th Grand Slam title, which is unbelievable. So that's how I see the men's side going. On the ladies' side, there's not really a dominant figure this year. Now, Zvontek has put together a, a good campaign, but with that in mind, there's a lack of a track record on grass for her. So I'm going to go out on a little bit of a limb, and she's a top 10 seed, but I like Coco Golf here. Let's bring the title to the United States on the ladies' side. I think that would be a hell of a story. I, I think it's definitely possible with the way she elevates her game in many instances um, on the big stage. I think that's something that you can definitely um, feel comfortable with doing. Now, does that mean that a Jessica Pagula can't win, right? Or a, a, even the veteran Venus can't make a nice run? I mean, crazy if, if, if craziness is going to happen at Wimbledon this year, I think it's going to be on the ladies' side because the talent is unbelievable. But defending champion Ribikina, she's excellent on grass. But there's going to be some other players. Uh, Sophia Hennon is returning, um, said some personal issues, but you know she's done some great things on the Grand Slam stage, and she's going to open against Coco Goff. So I think that's going to be a little interesting matchup there. Um, Coco gets through that one. You know, I like her to win this tournament, and I like Djokovic to take down Alcaraz in the final. I think that would be incredible, kind of the, the, the new guard against the older guard who's still dominating the sport. I mean, Novak Djokovic might be, me the, be the best we ever see. And if he win Wimbledon, it would be his eighth title at the All England Club, which would tie Roger Federer for the most there ever. So there's storylines galore here um, with, with with this year's event um, at Wimbledon. Also got plenty going on on the PGA Tour. The Rocket Mortgage Classic, a good tournament every year. Tony Finau, defending champion, missing the cut. The cut line today at the Detroit Golf Club was minus four. Finau was off it by three. And Justin Thomas, who struggled, missed the cut as well at plus one. Here's, here's some great news. Taylor Moore of the U.S., Taylor Pendrith of Canada, tied for the lead heading into the weekend. They're minus 13. Who's won back at minus 12? Ricky Fowler. And it, it was almost a storybook ending for Fowler at LACC um, a couple of weeks ago at the U.S. Open, falling a few back of Wyndham Clark um, after playing really good golf for three and a half days. Uh, Fowler just didn't have it down the stretch. But it's good to see him on that resurgent path because he's such a likable guy and to see him playing well again oh by the way with a Ryder Cup approaching uh, is pretty cool but I'll tell you with these high numbers you know, low numbers excuse me minus 13 the lead Fowler one back at, at minus 12 the cut line at minus 4 there's some good names that missed the cut I mean, this week Colin Morikawa in the mix at minus 11 minus 11 Seb Straka long ball minus 10 Adam Hadwin minus 10 there's good names that are going to be playing this weekend. Cam Champ, minus three, misses the cut. Bo Hostler, minus three, missed the cut. Sam Bennett, also minus three, missing the cut. Webb Simpson's out at minus two. The Duffman, Jason Duffner's out at minus two. And the amateur Gordon Sargent, who uh, 
played well at the U.S. Open, missing the cut at minus one. Brian Harmon is right there at minus eight, as is Troy Merritt, Sam Ryder, and Keegan Bradley also there as well. Bradley had a nice win last week, so it's good to see him playing um, some steady golf again as well. Justin Suh and Carson Young at minus seven as we head into the weekend. This is going to be a fun weekend if you're a golf fan because this is a legitimate tournament at a legitimate golf course, uh, the Detroit Golf Club. So if you're into golf, uh, enjoy it. I highly recommend it. Wimbledon's going to basically kickstart uh, Monday as we turn the calendar into the month of July as baseball season heats up. And we'll have you covered right here every Friday, 7 p.m. on the East Coast. Sports Today with Peter J. You can always catch us live right here on Podbean. After the fact, you can still listen on Podbean. Everything posts to Spotify, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, and Samsung and Google as well. You can subscribe on all those platforms as well. Follow me on Twitter at PeterJ in the letter M, PeterJM, for all up-to-date information and just my general thoughts uh, you know, on what's been taking place. NBA free agency continues to heat up. Mets have a 2-1 lead at home uh, right now for those listening live against the San Francisco Giants. But that's it for me this week. It was a pleasure, as always. Uh, those who've been messaging, tweeting in, obviously our buddy Vin, uh, giving us a call a little earlier in the broadcast. Thanks to all of you. I'll talk to you all again in one week's time as we get into the month of July. See you next Friday right here on Sports Today with Peter J. Have a great weekend, folks. Happy 4th of July. Sports Today with Peter J.